0: Does anyone um, remember that old TV show, One Foot in the Grave? Anyone remember that? Some people. Um, I might, maybe I'm showing my age by mentioning it. But it was, if you haven't seen it, it was about um, a real misery guts. And this old man called Victor Meldrew. Uh, and it was funny because of just how grumpy he was about everything. That was the whole premise of the whole show. Uh, he's a bit like, if, you've, if you know Winnie the Pooh, he's a bit like a really extreme version of Eeyore. Um, and um, a couple of years ago, actually, they released the next installment of the story in a book uh, called One, One Foot in the Grave and Counting. Um, but for poor old Victor, his, his a- outlook on life was that there were all sorts of bad things and um, they were getting worse as he got older. And the good things were all going to be taken away. And all he had to look forward to was death. It's a really funny show, but i probably not doing it justice. Now for the last couple of months, we've been um, listening to grappling with the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, and if you've been here from the beginning, it might have seemed to you at first that the teacher was like an ancient version of Victor Meldrew, um, always on about how, death and how fleeting and frustrating everything is. But I hope if you've been with us, you've seen how actually He's the polar opposite of Victor Meldrew, because his lesson is actually one of profound hope. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, then hopefully uh, today, as we draw the, the series to a close, we'll act a bit like a, a summary of, and a window into, uh, the, the, the life that God is calling God's people to, into the message of Ecclesiastes. Because there's really one point that the teacher has been making all the way through, And as uh, we think about that big point, I hope for the rest of us, it'll be an opportunity either to to sign off on the lesson that he's been teaching to us, to say, yes, I get it, I'm going to change my perspective on the world, I'm going to change the way I live, or probably just as usefully to say, no, I, I don't quite believe that actually, I've got more wrestling to do with this book, I'll need to... Uh, listen back to the sermons online, or or ask a question in the question time in church today, or or invite Johnny over for a cup of tea to to talk it through. But before you work out which camp you're on, uh, let's think about what is the big lesson that the teacher has been teaching us through the book of Ecclesiastes. Very helpfully, uh, he kind of summarizes it in the end uh, in, in our passage today. Firstly, positively, the teacher's been saying Enjoy God's gift of today. Have a look back down at verse uh, 7 of chapter 11. Page 678, if you close your Bibles, open them back up. uh, Verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eye to see the sun. Don't we feel that today? Um, However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is fleeting. You who are young, be happy while you're young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are fleeting. Notice I've retranslated that word meaningless, as fleeting. I think it sticks close to the original. Uh, and then um, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. And the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. You see, on the one hand, the teacher is really positive about this life, about everything there is on offer um, under the sun. Uh, He he says, go have a walk in the sunshine around Upton Country Park. Buy an ice cream. Um, Have a picnic. Play with the kids in the fountain. Get soaking wet and really muddy at the Frontier Centre. Watch a film. Have a meal at Sixfields. Uh, enjoy life. But on the other hand, these verses are also full of death, aren't they? A, a, a deliberate focus on awareness of death. Did you notice that? I wonder if it strikes you as a paradox. Victor Meldry, his awareness of, of everything falling apart, of, of death, made him miserable. Everything good will be taken away. All there is to look forward to is death. After that, who knows? But it certainly won't be anything good, Victor thinks. Now, the teacher has a totally different view of the world, which has come through all the way through um, the book of Ecclesiastes. In your word sheets, there is um, a copy of this diagram, because there's no way you'll be able to see it from there. Um, But it is in your word sheets. And and I think it's helpful to see, because um, uh, this is is kind of the, the, the way... That the teacher views life under the sun. At the beginning, uh, God created the world and he created it very good. There was nothing wrong with it, but we all sinned. Uh, We turned away from God, and um, so God cursed the world and everything in it and, and us. But God will one day restore it when Jesus comes back to make all things new. One day that will happen, but not yet. For now, we're living in this middle bit, in the cursed world under the sun, where there's sin and death, and we never quite know what God is doing. The teacher says we've got to be honest about the reality of life here in the middle bit. But we've also got to keep sight of the wider context of where we come from and where we're going, of what God is up to. Do you notice how in today's passage... God is described both as creator and as judge. The teacher always has this framework in mind, and that's what makes him so joyful. For someone like Victor Meldrew, one foot in the grave means that today is about desperately trying to cling on to all that is good. Maybe those few things that are good in life. And it's all just awful when it's taken away, when it, when it slips away. It's a losing battle. But for the teacher, living with one foot in the grave is something totally different. Yes, there are good things and bad things today. It is a mixed bag. And yes, over time, we will lose some of those good things. And yes, there is death ahead for all of us. But death means justice. Death means restoration. Death means, well, who knows precisely what, but it means something wonderful. And so today is not about desperately trying to cling on to what good things we've got, or trying to fix the world, get out of this curse. It's about enjoying the world that God graciously gives us. And God has Uh, And and the teacher has made this point in every section of this uh, book. Um, And um, you can ask me later, and I can show you that in the question time if you don't believe me. But um, the, the message of the teacher is this. Receive good things from God and revere God in the way we use them. We take the gift gladly with thanks, and we honor God with what he's given us. And um, uh, you can see that in, in the way that the, the teacher talks uh, throughout the book and clearly in this passage. Uh, so remember your creator in the days of your youth. Uh, remember him. In other words, uh, do what he's given you to do with gladness. Now, um, uh, the, the, um, the way that the teacher describes this receive from God, revere God with what he's given you, um, is partly with one focus on the idea of time. Do you remember that chapter three, which was all about there being a right time for everything? And so day by day, we live in the present. Time is like this thing rushing past us. We we can't um, hold on to the past. We can't control the future. All we've got is day by day, to please God with what he gives us. It's an interesting exercise, actually, to go through the whole Bible and pick out the way it talks about uh, the day, today. It says that today is the day of salvation. It says, today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts. It says, day by day, we are being renewed. It says, daily, God is bearing our burdens. It says, encourage one another Daily. As long as it's called today. And many more things besides. You can go through the Bible and pick out all sorts of other verses. Which talk about uh, the daily nature of the Christian life. The Christian life is lived day by day. I can't live tomorrow's life today. And I can't live yesterday's. I can only live today's. Like manna from God. We receive it day by day. And we revere God in the way we use it. And don't worry about what we can't do right now, or what we must do tomorrow, or the future hold. The world might think of us. That's in God's hands. We just get on with the stuff of verses 7 to 10. Enjoy God's gift of today. Let me give you a personal example of the, one of the ways uh, this has been affecting me as, as we've, we've um, uh, gone through this book of Ecclesiastes. Because of everything that's going on in the, the Church of England, effectively the bishops seemingly being on a road towards allowing biblical truth to be optional, the future is really uncertain. A lot of churches are not certain they'll be able to continue within the structures of the Church of England. Personally, for me and and for lots of other vicars, if that happened, there'd be all sorts of change on the horizon, not least that we'd become homeless. And so I'm tempted to um, pour myself into trying to sort out that future And trying to accumulate enough money that we'd be okay and find a a new house to live. Um, uh, Plan um, everything so that um, uh, the the kind of next steps will will be all right for us and and for the church. And Ecclesiastes has been reminding me, take what God has given you today. Use it to please him today and trust him with tomorrow. By the way, the, the teacher isn't saying you shouldn't um, uh, plan, or you shouldn't save, those are part of the good things that God has given us to do today. And the teacher isn't saying, be uh, selfish, avoid sacrifices for God, or or for others, or for eternity's sake. Uh, He's not saying, uh, just um, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The verses immediately uh, before these make it clear that we are to be generous, sacrificial, that is part of what it means to receive and revere. Actually, the, the teaching, the, 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 um, the lesson that the teacher is teaching becomes clearer when we understand what he's warning us against, what, what the message is kind of countering. Um, so um, uh, we've already talked about it a little bit, but uh, just to clarify, our second point is this: don't live for gain tomorrow. Enjoy uh, God's gift of life today, enjoy God's gift of today. Don't live for gain tomorrow. Chapter 12 begins with a a poem about ageing. It's not for the faint-hearted, is it? Chapter 12. Remember you're created in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them, before, and this sounds pretty apocalyptic, doesn't it, the sun and the light, and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, and the famous verses from verse 3 onwards, when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper drags itself along, picture of weariness, and desire is no longer stirred, then people go to their eternal homes, And mourners go about the street. Those might be um, metaphors for the human body. Um, It's poetic. The grinders, the teeth. Uh, Those looking through the windows, the eyes. The almond tree blossoms, the hair that grows white and then blows away. Might be metaphors for the human body. Might be community. Uh, Either way, the point is the same. The future for all of us is a pretty miserable decline, if we're honest. I can see some people nodding who are feeling that at the moment. I've heard um, someone say they've got to an age where um, when they bend down to, to tie their shoelaces, they've started looking for other jobs to do while they're down there. <laughs> and it's a little bit like Neil's flexibility demonstration last week. Um, it's not so very long until we're all experiencing that in, in pretty unpleasant ways, and, and, and not just physically, but But mentally as well, it's not so long until we all walk into a room, forget for the life of us why we came in there. Perhaps we started doing that already. Or that we're at the dinner table and we we can't quite follow the flow of conversation that's happening around us. And we, we in a hundred different ways, fall apart. It's just not very nice to think about. And um, uh, the teacher keeps the pressure on, doesn't he? Verse 6, remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden ball is broken, before the pitch is shattered at the spring, the wheel is broken at the well, the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Silver cord, so precious, so fragile like our life. And so the teacher finishes as he began. Verse 8, fleeting, fleeting, says the te- teacher, everything is frustrating and fleeting. The other message he's trying to convey, look, tomorrow is not going to be great. Stop living for gain for tomorrow. Tomorrow is not going to be better than today. Tomorrow is when you age and die and return to dust. Remember God's curse on Adam who he created. For dust you are, to dust you'll return. The teacher wants you to remember that. But the question, I guess, is why? Why is he so keen to rub our faces in this miserable idea? And the point is, the teacher's been making throughout this book, we're all tempted to think unrealistically about tomorrow. We're tempted to think, tomorrow I'm going to get ahead. Today isn't so great, but when I've sorted out this thing or that thing, tomorrow will be just right. Everything will be fixed, just around the corner. Tomorrow, when I've sorted out my job, when I've retired, when I've got that relationship, or I've got out of that relationship, when the kids have got a bit older, got into that school, got out of that habit, we think if we do this or that, tomorrow is where... Life is really at. So life becomes not so much about today, receiving the good things from God and revering God with them, but rather getting gain on what we've got, getting ahead, getting profit. And our attention and our hopes are focused on what tomorrow will bring us under the sun. Remember our diagram. What we're uh, tempted to do, instead of receiving from God, revering God with what we've got, is uh, to try and get back, get into paradise, to use the things in this world, to use the things that God gives us, um, like a ladder, to, to, to climb out of the curse, to make tomorrow better. But do you see why that doesn't work? If we could do that, if we could fix the problem of the curse ourselves, we wouldn't need Jesus. God sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross because the problem was so bad that it needed that sort of solution. And so we are waiting for God to fix the problem when Jesus comes back. We're to wait patiently for him to do that and receive the good things he gives us in the meantime. To seek just to please him with the way that we use them, rather than to use them to pull ourselves ahead, to get ahead in the rat race or whatever. And I think actually there are two other things to worth thinking about as you look at that diagram, probably on your sheets rather than here. But um, uh, we've got money and work and family as three examples of things we can use to kind of get, get ahead. But if we do that, notice two things. The first is that doing that is in fact idolatry. It's looking to something created rather than the creator to fix our life. And secondly, it's just absurdly naive, isn't it? Acting like we can beat God's curse with a bit more money or or a, a bit more work or a slightly better relationship. Like we're saying, we can thwart whatever the purposes of God were in cursing the world. And so the teacher gives us this poem, To rub our noses in the dust to which we must return. He's saying, stop doing that thing about tomorrow. Stop trusting creation around you rather than creator. Stop looking for gain rather than receiving a gift. Get real about life under the sun. Or you're very likely to ruin all these things that God has given you. Ruin your career. Ruin your family. Ruin... Uh, um, the money that God has given you. Uh, Jesus' uh, application of this, by the way, in his Sermon on the Mount is, don't be anxious about all these things. Ecclesiastes helps us with that. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Every day has enough troubles of its own. And worry about eternity. Just like the teacher's been saying in Ecclesiastes. Children, don't believe the lie that it's less fun following Jesus, because there are some people who will tell you that. When that girl in your eight makes it seem like she can uh, do whatever she wants to please herself without Jesus, and so she's living her best life, don't believe a word of it, because it's only with Jesus that we can live in the real world and have real joy today. Enjoy God's gift of today. Don't live for gain tomorrow. That's the lesson for the series. Past dismissed. Um, well, not quite. Um, the teacher is done, but the book isn't. You notice We only got up to chapter 12, verse 8. So open your Bible back up if you close today. Um, uh, there is more, uh, if, you, um, if you notice. And, and the reason for that um, is because of the Bible's brilliant pastoral intelligence. God knows just what some of us want to say to the teacher. And some of us want to say, wow. That teacher, he's a bit gloomy, isn't he? I want to think, I, I don't believe him. I don't believe that it's better to live life with one foot in the grave. That can't be right. I'd rather forget about that. Life will be better if I ignore death and decay and getting older and so on. I'll just be happier. And others of us are thinking, I think he's just wrong. I can secure my future, my children's futures. I can leave my mark on the world. I can make tomorrow better. And perhaps there are other others of us, uh, perhaps you've been Christians a long time, who are thinking, ah, oh, bless. Mm-hmm. He did awfully well for someone uh, writing in the Old Testament. But of course, I'm in New Testament times, and it all looks very different from here, don't you know? In other, God, in other words, God knows that all of us want an escape route from actually listening to what God says is saying to us through this teacher. So we get this epilogue to the book, this ending, as if uh, from above. So no longer the teacher speaking, but um, uh, commenting on what the teacher has been telling us the last couple of months. And so our last point is, listen up and change. Take this to heart, the epilogue is saying. And he gives us, I think, uh, we're given three reasons uh, to do that. First verses 9 and 10, because what the teacher says is true. It can't be rendered false by either the New Testament or by what other people say. The second, verse 11, because what he says is loving. And verses 13 to 14, because what he says is consistent with the rest of the Bible's teaching. You can ask more about the first and the third of those if you want in question time. But for now, I want to take a, a couple of minutes just to say something about that second one. Uh, that what the teacher says is loving. Uh, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now in the context of the Bible, I think that shepherd must be God. God our loving heavenly father. Uh, the, the Lord my shepherd of uh, Psalm 23, if you remember that. Jesus, the good shepherd as he called himself, who lays down his life for his sheep. And it is this shepherd, this loving shepherd, who's been speaking to us all along, through what the teacher has been saying. Perhaps you remember Psalm 23. Uh, We sing it sometimes uh, here at Grace Church. Uh, Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, the psalm goes. Now the shepherd's staff, had nails in it, goads, they're called, to discipline his stupid sheep when they are wandering off into danger. And in a similar way, God the Father disciplines his children. And part of the way he does that is through painful books, like Ecclesiastes. There are... um, All sorts of ways you might have felt uh, that Ecclesiastes seems to be saying two contradictory things. Have you ever felt that as we've been going through the book? Uh, Let me give you an example of something someone raised uh, with me. Um, uh, These are, as um, the epilogue says, carefully uh, ordered, set out uh, in order. Um, But chapter 5, verse 10 said... Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And chapter 10, verse 19, says money is the answer for everything. Anything? Hold on. Is the teacher just contradicting himself? Now, um, I think that that's a fairly um, uh, thoughtless approach to listening to what someone says. The teacher is very aware that those two things are going in different directions. But if we have the picture of a shepherd with the goads, then I think we'll get why. Sometimes the sheep will wander off one way and we'll need goading back into, in one direction. And sometimes the sheep will be wandering off in the opposite direction and we'll need goading back in that direction. So, uh, yes, there, there are Some of God's sheep will stray off into thinking that if only we had more money, then life would be so much better. Life would be perfect. And the Bible says if we keep on going that way, we'll pierce ourselves with many griefs. So chapter 5 is a goad for for them not to think in terms of gain about money. And yet there are others of God's sheep who are naively spiritual about money. What they haven't got is that money can be swapped for goods and services. And actually, that is a good thing. And so they're a right pain to be around because aside from anything else, they can be a burden to everyone else uh, because they don't chip in um, at the restaurant when you're paying for a meal or um, uh, towards the cost of of hospitality or whatever it might be. It's a goad not to be absurdly otherworldly. In other words, receive the good things that God gives. Mm -hmm. And throughout the book, that is what the teacher's been doing. He's been goading. And so if if you found yourself disagreeing with the teacher, thinking, oh no. Well, those are probably the bits that you most need to hear. Verse 12 warns us what we're not supposed to do with this book. Verse 12, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, of Making many books, there's no end, and much study wearies the body. The warning is against uh, additions, putting other books up onto a par with the Bible, up onto a par with Ecclesiastes. Um, and um, uh, we are all tend to do that. like sheep. Uh, we wander off um, in search of game, and uh, what we choose to graze upon, will depend on our personality, our our, um, our prejudices and predilections. And for some of us, it will be uh, the Times. For for others of us, it will be Hello Magazine. For others of us, uh, the TV or TikTok or this influencer or that YouTuber or, or whoever will have all of these other ideas, these other words influencing us. And actually, our days and our weeks will be full of other things bombarding us, other ideas, trying to get a foothold in our brains. And God wants to say to us, yes, fine, do read uh, or listen to all those things. There might even be interesting things to learn from them. But don't add them to what the teacher has been telling you. Rather, learn to read or listen to all of those things through the lens of what the teacher has been telling you. The Bible isn't just another book that we read. Rather, it is the way that we read all other books or we listen to all other pieces of advice or whatever. Do you see the distinction between those those things? What Ecclesiastes has been saying to us ought to shape the way we listen to every other voice. So let me um, uh, give you three questions to ask of all those other voices that you hear. Uh, to make sure that we're doing that, first, does it take sin and death and God's strange providence seriously? Or does it simply imply that I can evade the problems that those three things bring? It's a question about uh, the world that we're living in uh, whether the person I'm listening to knows where they're living, uh, that they're under the sun. That's a pretty fundamental thing to get right. Second, does this book or video or whatever look at life in terms of gift or gain? It's a question about um, the arrows in the diagram. Is the writer um, or or speaker listening, looking to his creator or idolizing creation around them? How is it affecting, thirdly, my receiving and revering? how is how is it changing my response? How is it tempting me naively to just look for more and more gain, to, to sort out my tomorrow, get more stuff? That's a question about me, isn't it? A question about uh, what's going on in my heart as I'm watching this film or listening to that friend. Do you see, those are the sorts of questions that that we'll need to be asking of, of all the things uh, that, that come at us, all the words that come at us, if we've taken on board what the teacher's saying to us, we've got to look at the world around us differently now that we've heard Ecclesiastes, now that we've listened to the teacher. If we have uh, heard him, then that's what we will do. If our eyes have been opened, if we've seen the the reality of this fleeting, frustrating world, uh, if we um, are eager to receive the good gifts from God rightly, revere him with them, instead of trying to gain... Uh, tomorrow Um, now it might be um, you want to remember those three questions, uh, you can ask and I'll repeat them in the question time uh, or come and grab me afterwards Um, but um, uh, just as I finish, let me just um, uh, read out again Um, uh, uh, chapter uh, 12 uh, verse 1 remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few and those looking through the windows grow dim. Remember him, verse 6 before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken for the picture is shattered. Verse 8. Fleeting, fleeting, says the teacher. Everything is frustrating and fleeting. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we so often don't like to hear what you've got to say to us. Please forgive us and change us. Help us to accept that we cannot fix tomorrow. Only you can sort out the mess that we're in. Help us, therefore, to... Enjoy the life that you give us today and please you with it because of your son Jesus and everything that he has done for us. Amen.